Ezekiel chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13, and we'll cover uh, the rest when we gather back together. Starting with verse 1, Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house, which faces eastward. And there at the door of the gate were twenty-five men, among whom I saw Jazaniah, the son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaniah, or Benaiah, princes of the people. And he said to me, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and give wicked counsel to this city, who say, The time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron, and we are the meat. Therefore prophesy against them. Prophesy, O son of man. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said to me, Speak, thus says the Lord. Thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. You have multiplied your slain in this city, and you have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, your slain, whom you have laid in its midst, they are the meat. And this city is the cauldron, but I shall bring you out of the midst of it. You have feared the sword, and I will bring a sword upon you, says the Lord God. And I will bring you out of the midst and deliver you into the hands of strangers and execute judgments on you. You shall fall by the sword. I shall judge you at the border of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. This city shall not be your cauldron, nor shall you be the meat in the midst. I will judge you at the border of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord, for you have not walked in my statutes, nor executed my judgments, but have done according to the customs of the Gentiles, which are all around you. Now it happened while I was prophesying that Pelatiah, the son of Benai, died. Then I fell on my face and cried with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a complete end of the remnant of Israel? If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled our time in God's Word, Willingly Following Who? Willingly Following Who? And we'll look at three things from the text. Carried corruption and calamity. Carried corruption and calamity. We have here Ezekiel. He's still in this vision where the, the Lord by the Spirit has literally taken him from Babylon to Jerusalem. And it's hard to describe this kind of trip that he has gone on with the Lord. Uh, he describes it as a vision, yet he's seen things. We know he's seen some things, in essence, kind of live time, but he also seen other things, future, all in the same place. Um, you know, you and I have, we've had dreams where we kind of go all over the place, uh, and, and, and they're pretty senseless, most of them. Every now and then the Lord gives me things that I really do think are from him. But this is not just a dream. Uh, remember, as a, as a vision, he really is seeing literally things, present tense, and in some cases, future tense. Uh, in some cases, kind of a blend of both. It's hard to even tell sometimes. Sometimes it's easy to tell where the Lord has actually all of a sudden almost zoomed in and he's seen future, and other times he's seen kind of the present tense. Uh, he sees what appears to be some present tense. Present tense, what is it? Was it was normative for the elders or the leaders of the city to gather at the gate. And this particular group, they would be gathering, uh, as he sees, at the east gate 
of which would come directly into the temple area, but they were at the door of the gate. Um, but I think that if you uh, look at what takes place here, uh, he sees these men, and these are the men that uh, they are the brain trust of the people. They are the ones that uh, are setting the course for, at that time, Judah, the air, you know, Jerusalem being uh, the fortress city there, setting the uh, agenda for the people. Uh, they are the ones that are uh, passing the laws, what's lawful, what's not lawful, uh, what's acceptable. Uh, they are the ones as the leaders that uh, would be, would have the kind of uh, parallel access to the religious leaders, the, the priesthood, the Levites, as well as the business leaders. And, and some of these guys are, are both because they're both political leaders and they're probably also, in some cases, business leaders as well. Uh, ancient times, there's some, there's some uh, uh, evidence that Jerusalem may have even been courted into about 24 different wards. So this could actually be, if you will, 24... Uh, leaders from each ward of the city. That's a possibility. We don't know. Of course, there's 25, uh, but there's two that are mentioned as leaders above the others anyway. So, uh, But they're gathered there, and Ezekiel is brought by the Lord uh, to the east gate. Remember, he has just seen, Ezekiel has just, if you've been with us in our previous study, he has just seen the Lord, the glory of the Lord move in stages out of the temple, and where did the Spirit go? Where did the glory of the Lord go? Out the east gate. And we'll see when we get uh, later in the, the second half of this chapter, we'll see that the Lord actually is residing uh, on top of what would be the Mount of Olives, uh, the mountain immediately east of the city. That's in verse 23 when we get uh, to that part of the text. Uh, we'll see that. But uh, let's take a look at this first section carried. Then the Spirit of the Lord brought me up, or lifted me up, lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house. What a beautiful statement, is it not? Then the Spirit lifted me up. Now you think of the Spirit of God, the very Spirit that breathed life into Adam, the very Spirit that was hovering over the water, the very Spirit that said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, it's hard for us to comprehend. Uh, we'll, we'll, we say a, when we say a sentence, we'll say a chain of words. And in that sentence, we might say God or the Spirit, and it's just in the sentence, but there's really no comparison. The Spirit of the living God, which we just sang, fall afresh on me. Not only can the Spirit fall afresh on us, but the Spirit can lift us up. And of course, those two are one and the same. The Spirit falling upon us uh, has a great effect of lifting us in our own spirit, but he's lifted up, and this marks the fourth time here in Ezekiel uh, that he actually says, the Spirit lifted him up. This is the fourth time he uses that phrase, the Spirit lifted me up. He'll actually say it one more time in the 43rd chapter, and in effect, he says it twice more as he also, in the 24th verse here in chapter 11, he says, the Spirit took me up, which of course is the same uh, language as lifted me up. So this imagery of the Holy Spirit just taking him, of course, you remember uh, on the, in the one verse where he's taken by the lock of hair and lifted up, and that, that uh, 
could seem like it hurts, but when God does it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't hurt at all, and uh, it's, it's just effortless. You're like a feather to the Lord. Just you know, move you from Babylon over to here, and how the Spirit lifts him up. But you know how much we need, all of us, the Spirit to lift us up, don't we? You might be needing it tonight. You need the Holy Spirit to lift you up. You can't lift yourself up. You really can't. Uh, sometimes it becomes more evident than other. We pray for our sister who has stage 4 cancer tonight. When you have stage 4 cancer, you actually know you can't lift yourself up. But we're under the illusion if, if we don't have those things, we think we can lift ourselves up. And the reality is we really can't. The only distinguishing difference is the circumstances that we find ourselves. Some bring it all into focus that, oh, I really can't lift myself up. I need the Lord to lift me up. We could accurately say that everything and everyone but the Lord has actually let us down. True? At some point, even the people that are, are the most um, reliable of all, everything and everyone has, and if it hasn't yet, will let us down at some point. And yet we're so prone to look for other things to lift us up, aren't we? Always looking for something else uh, to lift us up. Part of, as a believer, part of our learning to walk by faith is to learn and to believe and to know that only God's Spirit can lift us up. Ezekiel knew this. But he experienced it. You know, it's one thing for someone else to experience it and try and tell you. But as a believer, the Lord has all of us work this out. You know, Paul talked about working out our salvation. You know, coming to know that the only one that can actually lift us up is God's Spirit. Everything else, uh, it, it, you might get something temporary out of it, but something that sustains, something that continues to lift you higher above things. It's only the Lord. And that only comes, the Holy Spirit lifting us up only comes by spending time in the presence of God. Ezekiel was a man, as the other prophets were, dedicated to the Lord, waiting upon the Lord. It's spending time in His presence where you, your, your ear is tuned to the voice of God, the Spirit of God lifting us up. Uh, you know, I have many times, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, many times have entered into a time of devotion with the Lord as dry and flat as this wooden pulpit. Like this, in my mind, this is going nowhere so far. But I wait there because I know that the movement of God is not so much dependent upon me, it's dependent upon God. With this exception, he's told me to wait upon him. You know how many times the scripture says, wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord. We don't really like to wait. That's why we have microwaves. That's why we have smartphones. That's why we have everything but waiting upon the Lord. We don't like to wait. And yet the Lord tells us to stay there. And then when we do, we can come in there in a bad mood, irritable, lazy, tired. I, even long before I became a pastor, that was the way I entered many a Wednesday night service when I was just coming from work, like a lot of you. 
I can't count how many times I would come to a Wednesday night service. It's like six, uh, no, longer than that now. I forget how long it's been. 10, 12 years ago, because I've been pastoring the church for seven. 10, 12 years ago, I remember going to church on Wednesday nights, even as I was uh, already uh, in leadership and stuff, and I'd be like dragging myself to church on a Wednesday night because I would be too tired and weary and this, that, and the other. And I would leave with energy that I never had when I walked in the door. Why is it? Because the Spirit lifts us up. There's things that you don't get from food. There's things that you don't get from beverages. There's things that you don't get from anything but the Holy Spirit. And learning that, and, and when your body is lying to you and your mind is lying to you and you're going back and saying, thus saith the Lord to yourself, reminds you that the spirit that lifted Ezekiel in the past will lift him again. Amen? He's been lifted before. He'll be lifted again, and so will you and I. We need the spirit of God to lift us above problems. We need the Spirit of God to lift us above roadblocks. Above, how about this one? Above our own shortcomings. Because we got a lot of shortcomings. And the Spirit of God can lift us above our own shortcomings. I've seen many a person say, I can't take on this task. I don't have the skills. I'm like, you're perfect. Because if you're humble, the Lord will actually mold you to be able to do that above our shortcomings above our failures the enemy tries to constantly dog us about past failures and it's really the the lord that tells us as i love what paul said forgetting those things which are behind me i press forward we all have past failures the holy spirit says leave them in the dust move forward i'll lift you beyond those things those things uh, they don't go away in our life, we're still going to have future roadblocks, future failures, future downtimes, things like that. But what it does is the Spirit of God lifts us up to where we have a different perspective. And I like that when Ezekiel's lifted up, he sees things that other people wouldn't see. He's up where God is, in a sense, looking down at what's going on there in Jerusalem. And for you and I, in addition to us, personally, individually needing the Spirit of God to lift our spirits when our countenance is down or carry us further in our faith or to propel us in our faith. We also need the Spirit to take us to a place of wisdom. To take us to a place of wisdom. Every day in your life, you need more wisdom if you were to go back and look at your day, or go back and look at your week, or go back and look at your month, you would go back and realize how many times you needed wisdom, and how many times we didn't ask God for it. We simply just did what we do, what we know to do. I'd operate this way, I operate this way, I operate this way. But we need the Lord to take us to a place of wisdom. We also, we live in a very deceptive world. And we need the wisdom of God to see things for what they really are, not what other people want them to be, not what other people say they are, not even what we would want them to be, but what God says they are. There's a big difference. That's wisdom. When we see things from God's perspective. Now, Ezekiel could have, God could have told him, what do you suppose is happening at the east gate? I don't know. Fill in the blank. God says, I'll show you exactly and who they are and what they do and what these men are all about. Now, they have a public 
persona, but I'll show you what I say about it. Look at what the Lord says about them in verse 2. And he said to me, son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and give wicked counsel to this city. In the New Testament, it talks about inventors of evil things, they, uh, men that devise schemes. They devise iniquity. They devise sin. They devise traps that keep people in bondage. Let's look at this uh, second point tonight, corruption. I remember years ago when uh, I was still in college in Miami, um, I was, my wife and I both, uh, with a group of friends, we, we did uh, catering for these uh, really high-end parties. And this one um, we did, it was a, uh, in the penthouse of a German billionaire. And this is, you know, I was unsaved at the time, and it was really cool just to, just to even be, and so we got to go to some of these places, and, you know, here I was in college and, and hoping uh, to someday be in business myself. And I remember this particular night um, uh, party, and, and it was overlooking the Atlantic Ocean on one side, the intercoastal on the other, right in Bow Harbor, which is like super high end of, of Miami. Uh, virtually everyone at the party, the top floor, uh, it was three-story high penthouse. Uh, had a Salvador Dali original in it. I have no idea what that was worth. And um, the party was, everyone was there were multi-millionaire and billionaire businessmen from all over the United States and some from Europe. And I didn't know who they were at the time, but I remember one of them, and I won't say one of them was part owner of a major league baseball team. I heard their conversations. I guess they thought that me being a college guy, that I was like brain dead and couldn't understand what they were saying. But I was listening. It was fascinating because I literally heard conversations of like, well, I've got an attorney that shelters that and hides all that. I literally heard those kind of conversations going on. And it was a, a window's eye way back then of the fact that at the highest levels, there are some different set of rules that people play by. And there are ways around the systems. And, and what, what other people can't get away with, they really can. And, say, and there was all kinds of uh, cattiness among the women. It was just, just an interesting thing. I'm sure if I was able to listen into everything, I probably would have caught more. But even then, being unsaved, I, I, I recognized that wow, there's some truth to the fact that there really is some things in high places that uh, one, one hand shaking the, uh, taking care of the other hand. And I also worked for the, uh, uh, I won't say which branch of government while I was in Florida too, and I saw things there as, uh, that I know, you know, were, uh, later there was investigations into some of those leaders and things like that. But what the Lord uh, points out here. These men, these 25 men, they devise iniquity and they give wicked counsel to this city. And it says in verse 3, uh, they say the time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron and we are the meat. Now this is a proverb, if you will. Um, and what it essentially is saying, and it's somewhat obscure. Even different, even different Bible scholars disagree on exactly what this proverb means. Uh, I tend to uh, take the tack that uh, what this proverb means is that uh, the city, if you, if you know what a, you ever bought those cast iron skillets? They are solid. 
well, their cauldrons were made of like cast iron or bronze and, and incredibly thick. And um, let's just say if you kick one, uh, your foot is going to get the raw end of that deal. They're not, they're not budging. Those things are thick. And uh, so once you put the meat in there, there's no leakage of those things. They're thick and, and really, really anything you put in there is safely in there. And it, it appears that the leaders uh, of the city, uh, using a proverb, is that uh, just like anything that you put in this container is not going to, you don't have to worry about it leaking out, that the walls would be very, very secure, very thick, impenetrable, uh, and, you know, again, we're the meat, we're the best part inside uh, of the stew or whatever. Uh, and again, this might not be the kind of proverb we would use today, but it, at that time it seemed to really resonate and everyone understood it. Well, these 25 men, they were the ones that were, again, the brain trust giving the counsel. And you've got these 25 men gathered here at the East Gate. They're actually meeting, as I mentioned already. They're at the East, the East Gate is the doorway to God's house. It's the doorway to the temple. It is the gate that Jesus came in uh, when he uh, entered Passover week. You know, he comes there on the fall of a donkey. It's the east gate that he will re-enter at the uh, end of the tribulation period. He's going to re-enter this east gate as well. And here they are, though, just outside the east gate. They're at the door of the Lord's house, but they are in no way under the Lord's authority. They're at the door of the Lord's house, but in no way are they under the Lord's authority and His guidance. They actually have no idea. Ezekiel saw this because he saw it in the heavenly realm. Remember, he's there in a vision. Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord do what? Exit through that very gate. They have no idea that the glory of the Lord has left their city and actually went out the very gate they were sitting at because it was common for leaders in ancient cities to sit at the gates and that's where they would uh, pontificate, that is where they would settle disputes, that is where they would give the counsel to the city. What do we do? Babylon has, you know, Babylon has taken all the nations around us, they're headed towards Jerusalem. Jeremiah, you know that wacko, he says that, you know, we're going to fall, what say you? They have no idea, though, the Lord has left, and the Lord is the protection of the city. If the glory of the Lord is not there, you've got a major problem. These are the princes of the people. Tells us the princes of the people there in verse 1. The princes of the people, they were the ruling class. They were those that were close to King Zedekiah. These men, have they've accomplished things, they have wealth, they have status, and they believe in their own press. They believe in their own credentials. They believe in their own accomplishments. These are men that don't need God. They're self-made men. They don't need God because they're brilliant on their own. They don't need the Lord. They're very, obviously I'm tongue-in-cheek with this. C.S. Lewis said, The monotonous years of middle-age prosperity are excellent campaigning weather for the devil. The monotonous years of middle-age prosperity are excellent campaigning weather for the devil. You know, these guys, 
Remember, they're Jewish. They're not only somewhat near the temple, they're right at the east gate entrance. No doubt they have been raised going to temple. No doubt they have done all the feasts and everything else. They're very familiar with religiosity, but God calls them wicked. That's what he calls them. Because at some point, a lot of people that you know, they're not out committing crimes. They're just making money, doing life. That's what, that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. He says, the monotonous middle years of prosperity are like, I don't need God. I just bought a new bass boat. I don't need God. Uh, I am doing this, or I'm building this kingdom, or I'm making a name for myself, or when I get around to it, maybe I... But, you know, the longer you don't need God, then when other people ask you for advice, whose advice does someone who doesn't need God, and you ask them for advice, whose advice are you going to get? Theirs. So you ask one of these 24 guys, they're not men of prayer, they don't speak to God. They don't hear from God. They don't read the Word of God. And yet, they're the guys you're going to ask, so what do we do? Is Jerusalem going to be okay? What do they say? Follow our advice and everything's going to be fine. So often, those with positions of authority, they see themselves as good. They see themselves as noble even if their character says otherwise. Well, they are dressed really nice usually, right? Suits, beautiful ties. They're well-educated. They're extremely well-spoken. They're polished. And it's not that they never do. Here's the thing about leaders that, that on the outside... You might not be able to make a good assessment, but God called these 25 men wicked. On the outside, you see they're polished, you see they're well-dressed, they, they smile, they shake hands with people. Uh, I haven't seen them do anything outwardly grotesque. It seems like everything is really above board, and it's not that they never do anything good. They actually do some good stuff too, usually, and even some helpful things, but their motives aren't from God. What drives them? Their motives aren't from God. They have their own plans. They have their own agenda. And here's what drives them. Here it is. The pride of life. They want, to make, they want a name for themselves. See, God says that His name is to be exalted above every name. But every time, it doesn't matter if you're a low-level guy or a high-level guy, when you say, I don't want the Lord, then you put yourself on the throne. And so these men, the driving force behind them is the pride of life, their own agenda, their own plan. They have plenty of visibility. There they are at the gate, right there, the prominent east gate. They have plenty of visibility to everybody. And they convey to the people their good and helpful intentions. They don't tell people, by the way, uh, devious leaders don't ever come to you and say, I am a devious leader. Devious leaders never come to you and say, by the way, I want you all to know I'm wicked, I have no good character, I have really bad intentions, 
and I'm really prideful, I'm extremely arrogant, I have my own agenda, I never pray, I never talk to God, I don't listen to God, I couldn't care less what any of you think, now please follow me. And yet, people follow leaders that everything I just said is actually who they are. And God shows, Ezekiel says, this is who these guys are. You see them, the 25 on there, but I tell you, they devise iniquity. They're not just men of iniquity, they devise it. They have systems to get people in massive credit card debt. They have systems to allure people to be constantly... Rome was great at this. They gave them bread and circus, Right? Just give them bread and circus. As long as they're entertained by 250 television channels, as long as they are in debt to their eyeballs, as long as they can't pay off their student loans. Oh, I'm talking about today, aren't I? I could go on and on and on. Now, the people are their own problem too. Remember, the scriptures tell us that people heap up for themselves exactly what they want. So the people are just as guilty as the leaders. But that's why I've titled this, Willingly Following Who? People willingly follow what their own heart wants and they get the leaders that they themselves have put there. Mark Twain, remember these leaders, in many ways, they look good. They tassel kids' head. They smile a lot. They give hugs to babies in political campaigns. They do all this stuff. They look good. And on top of all that, they're on the Kiwanis board, and they're on this board, and the Boy Scouts, and this, that, and the other, and they're on every board you can think of, and the, you know, the Chamber of Commerce, and all these things, and they're the good, upstanding citizen. I love what Mark Twain said. He said, having spent considerable time with good people, I can understand why Jesus liked to be with tax collectors and sinners. He had a way with words, didn't he? You know, Mark Twain met a lot of leaders in his lifetime. And for him to say that is very insightful. He met a lot of people that were at the top of the social class. And he understood why Jesus liked to hang out with tax collectors and sinners. So often those with um, these levels of authority... At some time, or at least over time, many of them that are corrupt, that are evil, that are dishonest leaders, they don't even know they're corrupt. You might sometimes be scratching your head like, how do you get this way? Well, you have to just stay away from God for a long time and your conscience is seared. They, they don't even know they're lying when they lie. Lying becomes very habitual in any of us. If, if, if you and I take lying lightly, we will lie perpetually. And there's a lot of people that lie, and you, if you actually ask them, why did you lie? They would say, when did I lie? They wouldn't even know because it's become so normative of their life. And, you know, I would pray that that wouldn't be us. But a lot of leaders, they for so long, they hang out, you know, the whole birds of fat, they hang out with others that lie all the time. It becomes a very normal thing, and they, they actually will call it something else. They'll call it the spin room. He's right? It's not a lie. It's, it's, well, we spin this, or we massage it. 
but they become dishonest and evil. They don't even know they're corrupt. And quite a few of them, this, I tell you, they still deeply believe that they are good, honorable, and decent, and high character. Many, many, and these are ones that the Lord would say, and that's why you and I, and I, it, I don't ever want to look at Scripture and always apply it to other people. I always want the Lord, Lord, scrutinize me too. Right? All of us. All of us have some level of leadership in life, <laughs> some more than others, and you want to be, Lord, scrutinize me to make sure that my actions always match my words. But I really, I've come to see over, you know, I was in business for 17 years and uh, just, you know, many of you in your own life, if you've lived any length of time, uh, you come to realize that there's a lot of folks out there that they, they believe themselves to be really good, decent. They, they completely miss that they just told this dirty joke over here. They just uh, cussed a blue streak over here. They just did. And all that goes out the window because they just gave something the United Way. And that's the all. They, you know, like, did you remember? No, they can't remember those other things because it's so part of their life. And these leaders, because the only way that you and I know about sin in our life is God giving us the conviction of it. It's the Holy Spirit that puts a spotlight and says, this is wrong, you can't do that, you can't act that way. Well, everyone else does, not you. Well, everyone else acts this, they get mad in traffic or this. No, not you. Now, but to be sure, leaders like these 25 guys, they're self-deceived. They don't see their lies as lies. They don't see their corruption as corruption. Or their manipulation as manipulation. You know how they see those things? You, you might, after you've been saved for a while, you forget how you once operated in the unsaved world. Sometimes it's good to go back and remember how you used to think. Uh, I, I have a couple letters I wrote when I was unsaved, and I'll sometimes actually look at them like, what in the world? What planet was I on? I was on planet unsaved which is you make up anything that suits you. So when they are not able to see corruption as corruption, manipulation, manipulation, uh, leaders, they see these things as simply political. They'll even use terms like, that's politics. God, you know, politics will net, when you stand before God, if you're at the great white throne judgment, it's way too late. But no time would you ever stand before God and say, well, that was just politics. There was a, I don't know if it, in the World Cup, there was a guy who bit another guy. It's the third time in international competition he's actually bit someone. And I, list, I looked at his little sound bite, and he said, well, those are things that just happen on the pitch. Now, I've watched soccer a long time. If that's normal, why have I never seen it before, and neither has anybody else? But in his mind, he has now conditioned himself that that is normal behavior. That's politics. That's just a business tactic. Oh, that's just something to accomplish a positive result. All of these things. But what they're telling the people, though, is completely opposite. Here's the big problem. If God's speaking to America and God is saying to America, repent and turn from your sins, what are the things that would be counter to that? That, that, that is the only, by the way, that's the only thing God is saying. He doesn't have a, 
and A through Z. Everything starts with that because underneath that is everything else, that you start there. You and I, for salvation, we had to start where? With repentance. We had to ask for God's forgiveness. We had to cry out for mercy. That's, everything else came after that. The, then uh, the Lord imparting grace, all the things that we receive, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they start out with just, Lord, I call upon the name of the Lord. Forgive me. I'm wrong. You're right, to put it in its most elementary term. But if the Lord is saying to our own nation, not just our nation, every nation, but definitely ours, because this is where we live, to repent. But your leaders say something different. They're not, if they're not saying repent, if you go to these 25 uh, leaders in Jerusalem and say, what should we do? Babylon has advanced over many of our uh, surrounding countries or nations. There's only a few cities that are strongholds. We're in Jerusalem. Yes, it's a fortress. What do you think? Here was their answer. We're in a cauldron. It's tight as a drum. Don't go outside the city and build houses. Our economic boom will come. We just need to hold tight a little longer. That's what they're saying. Stay inside the cauldron. Hunker down a little bit. Babylon will come. They'll kind of try and get into the city. They'll realize that we're an impenetrable force. Our cauldron is like bronze. It's thick. It's steel or whatever. They can't get in. They give up. They go away. Then later, because it says... Uh, the leader said, now is not the time to go build houses. They're saying, stay inside the city and we'll all be saved. Now, this is directly contrary to what the Lord had told these leaders through Jeremiah. Completely contrary. Turn with me. Uh, take a left-hand turn. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 39. Jeremiah 39. See for yourself. See, here's what God absolutely hates. What, what, let, let's say that these 25 leaders were not involved, and I don't think that this would be the case. I think that these 25 leaders would probably be involved in other sinful things too. But let's say that they were, for the most part, they were not involved in worshiping idols. They were not involved in the sexual immorality. They were not involved in certain other aspects of what was... Uh, a society that had been going down the tubes. Now, the reality is they probably, at some of them, or maybe all of them, were probably involved in some of those very things too. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt they weren't. To God, it doesn't matter. When you've been given Him, if God says, do this, and you do the opposite, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve didn't go rob a bank. They were told, do not eat from this tree. And they said, yes, we will. In essence. So Jeremiah the prophet comes and tells the city leaders, tells Zedekiah, tells leaders, do not think that if you stay here in the city that you're going to be safe and you're going to be able to defend yourself. You need to present yourself and just give yourself over to the king of Babylon. Then it'll be well with you. They rejected his counsel. Um, take a look at, in, start in verse, um, look at verse 20 of uh, chapter 38, sorry, chapter 38. Jeremiah said, they shall not deliver you. Please obey the voice of the Lord, which I speak to you, so it will be well with you, and your soul shall live. Verse 21, but if you refuse to surrender, 
He's telling King Zedekiah, and he had all his princes too, telling him, if you refuse to surrender, this is the word the Lord has shown me. Now behold, all the women who are left in the king of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes, and those women shall say, your close friends have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk in the mire, and they have turned away again. So they shall surrender all your wives and children of the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the king of Babylon. You shall cause this city to be burned with fire. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, let no one know of these words and you shall not die. He's just heard. God's told him exactly what to do. Here's their deal. Because you guys have been rebellious, because you've turned to idolatry, because you've been a sinful nation for quite some time, here's the deal. I'll let you live, but you better turn yourselves over. It would be like the Lord coming to our leaders and say, all right, here's the deal, America. I'll spare all the lives, but you have to turn yourselves over to China. They now will own you. We don't want to do that. We will fight to the bitter end. God says, all right. If you want to go that route, it's going to be bloodshed and buckets. That's what the Lord was saying. But the leaders didn't want to hear that. They're like, no, we don't believe that. We believe we'll be fine. We'll do it our way. And it's exactly what they did. Now, it didn't go well. Look at verse um, 39. And, uh, down in verse 27, And all the princes came to Jeremiah and asked him. He told them according to these words that the king commanded. So they stopped speaking with him, for the conversation had not been heard. Now Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day Jerusalem was taken. Uh, they continued to have their visibility and their leadership. He had to remain in the prison. He actually got out of the worst part of the prison, the dungeon, but he had to remain in the court of the prison. Here he's trying to save their lives, and they're threatening him, you know, keep your mouth shut and we won't kill you. Ends up in uh, chapter 39. Uh, so it was when the king of Jerusalem, in verse, uh, verse 4, so it was in Zedekiah, the king of Judah, all the men of war saw, they fled and went out of the city by night, by the way of the king's garden, by the uh, gate between the two walls. They went out by the way of the plain. The Chaldean army pursued them. They overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. When they had captured him, they brought him to Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylon and Riblah, the land of Hamath, where, the, where he pronounced judgment on him. The king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon also killed the nobles. That's the princes. That's the same guys. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with bronze fetters. See, this was told, they were told exactly. There has been men of the Lord that have told our nation, repent or we may suffer consequences. Some have said, repent, or we will suffer consequences. I believe, if you look at the Scriptures, there's no question about the fact that we must listen to the Word of the Lord. Not what other people are saying, you know, no, you wanna, we don't need to worry about that. Here's what we need to do. We need to jumpstart the economy. How is that going to thwart anything that God sends? I don't know if you just saw it, but the eco economic news today uh, it retracted what, what we contracted by what 2.9 percent. Uh, I told uh, you know I, we were talking about this about two months ago, and I had mentioned the fact that uh, the first bad economic news they attributed to the weather, 
back in back, and I said, "There's no way that number is attributed to the weather. There's no way. Uh, if you followed any kind of epic economic news, that was a blip on the radar screen. It would not have that kind of impact. We've had way more uh, difficult weather. But again, we're constantly seeing the same kind of things. Uh, this is what we need to do. Just do this." Fix it this way, This throw, throw more money at the problem, all of those things. And the leaders of Israel, they had the same thing. Say, no, 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 people, calm down. We've got it under control. Have you prayed about it? Well, we don't pray. Have you consulted God? We don't need God. We went to Harvard. Okay. Is our enemy supposed to be impressed by that? Because they're not. Babylon was not impressed with the prince's education and their background and all of their abilities. So they would ultimately, what they were offering to the people was suicide. Back in chapter 11, when the Lord says, you have multiplied the slain in this city, you have filled the streets, uh, I believe the Lord is now looking future. It is your, you, the leaders, you have multiplied the slain, not God. You know, a lot of people, when God brings judgment, who do people blame? God. And God's like, no, no, no. You multiplied the slain in the city, not me. I gave you hundreds of years as a nation to repent, and you refused to do it. I sent you time and time again. We'll look at that in just a moment. I continued to send people your way, but you wouldn't listen. No, it's not just... Um, it's not just... Um, religious leaders that, uh, that are corrupt. It's not just religious leaders. I mean, it's not just political and business leaders uh, that mislead the people. But worse in, uh, in Christianity is we have many pastors and people that have pulpits that are misleading people. You know, Jesus even said this, speaking of corrupt uh, religious leaders, he said in John 16 too, he said, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. That even religious leaders, and you know, of course, Paul was that way. He was so zealous for what he thought was the Lord, but he wasn't zealous for the Lord. Uh, he was actually fighting against. Jesus said, why, you know, why are you persecuting me? He didn't even realize. But we have uh, religious leaders and and um, you know uh, those in Christian circles and those that are pastors that uh, that they are portraying that they are the leaders that are peaceful and tolerant and accommodating and yet they are not the least bit peaceful or tolerant or accommodating to anyone who proclaims what the scriptures actually say and teaches the whole counsel of God. You'll actually, see an, you'll actually see an evil anger in their eyes and in their face, and they proclaim to be peaceful, tolerant, all this stuff. Look, I, I totally disagree with them, but I'm not like seething in my face about them, even though they're as false as can be. And they're so supposed tolerant and all these different things. And yet they really, uh, they are wolves, as the Bible calls them. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, pretending to be uh, caring, 
loving, but really they're opposed to God. They have completely uh, set themselves in a face-off against God. One other thing as we kind of come to the class closing point with calamity, this group of leaders, though, uh, among leaders, wherever you have leaders, in this case they are the political leaders, the princes of the people, um, chapter 10, we did see in chapters 9 and 10 some of the religious leaders. But wherever you have a group of leaders, there's always alpha leaders, leaders of leaders, right? You know, it doesn't matter the organization. You take an organization as wicked as the Nazi Germany, Nazi regime. Uh, Hitler had a few leaders among leaders. And those guys really turn the screws on all the other guys. Because when you have a group of leaders, take 25 men, you'll have a, you'll have a kind of a, uh, in that 25, you'll have some guys that really set the course. And then you have, at descending order, you have down at the bottom of that 25, they just go with the flow. You tell them that uh, the sky is purple, they'll, they'll agree that the sky is purple now. They just go with the flow. But then you have people at the top that are shaping. They devise iniquity. They're not just in the 25. They set the course for these 25. They're the ones that say, all right, here's the deal. When the people come, this is our story. Everybody on board? What happens if you say you're not on board? <laughs> That's not a good place to be for them. So you just go with the flow. But these, um, these two here that are mentioned, I saw Jazaniah and Pelatiah. They seem to be the ringleaders. The two guys that kind of run the thought process. The brain trust of the brain trust. Uh, Webster's defines ringleader as the leader of a group that causes trouble. A leader a ring of leader of a ring of individuals engaged in especially improper or unlawful activities that would de that would describe these guys well they were the ringleaders in bad advice pelatiah and jazaniah well what will be the result well we saw uh, we saw the result there in jeremiah uh, but turn with me to one final place under as we kind of close with calamity the lord says you know, if you're going to obey or listen to the counsel of these leaders, it's going to be disastrous. He says in verse 12, uh, or in verse 11, let's look at verse 11, he, uh, as far as the calamity goes. He, this city shall not be your cauldron. In other words, in a sense, God, if the proverb was a uh, negative proverb, the Lord wouldn't say this. If it was a negative proverb, like we're going to boil in a cauldron, that's not what it meant. It meant we're safe in that fortress of cast iron, if you will. This city shall not be your cauldron. In other words, I'll break the walls of the cauldron. I'll smash the iron and you'll come piling out, right? So if you were to smash a pot, everything comes out. You'll not, uh, you shall not be the meat in its midst. You'll not be safe inside the cauldron. But you'll be judged at the border. We just read that. That happened near Riblah when the princes and Zedekiah and his children are killed. And, of course, his eyes are uh, gouged out as well. Verse 12, And you shall know that I am the Lord, 
For you have not walked in my statutes, nor executed my judgments, but you have done according to the custom of the Gentiles, which are all around you. Now look at Second Chronicles as we come to a close. Second Chronicles chapter 36. Second Chronicles chapter 36. Again, under calamity if you're taking notes. Here's another, here's another historical reference of the rebellion, the refusal to take God's advice and repent, and instead follow their own advice. See, it's disastrous as our nation. I don't care how smart a plan is. This plan is the most genius ever. It'll add 42 million jobs. Won't matter. Which politician controls the heavens that can give us rain? None of them. None of them. And that's just, which one of them can control disease? None of them. Which one of them can control what our enemies do? Well, we know that's not the case. The whole world is a basket case in pockets. And Israel had the same problem. But look at what 2 Chronicles chapter 36, talking about Zedekiah, verse 12. 2 Chronicles 36, He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet. There, Jeremiah was like the only guy saying, these 25 loons that think they know what they're talking about are going to get everyone here killed. Don't listen to the 25 princes. Listen to the Lord. But he would not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. You can be a little old Christian sitting here in the chair and know more than the people in Washington. As it they're brilliant people. I know they have high IQs and all that stuff. I respect a lot of what God's given them as far as abilities. Plenty of them. But when it comes to either knowing what God says or what man says, there's no comparison, folks. The, Jeremiah gave him the word, Lord, and he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God. But he stiffed his neck and hardened his heart against the turning to the Lord God of Israel. Verse 14, Moreover, all the leaders... Of the priest and the people transgressed more and more. They doubled down on sin. Instead of repenting, they went after more of it. According to the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. Verse 15, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people. See, God didn't want the people killed. That's why he said, you're the one that has slain the people, not me. But he had compassion on his people, on his dwelling place, but they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at his people, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. End of story. But isn't it neat to see there, it said, but God had compassion? Remember uh, when Jeremiah, I mean, when Ezekiel saw the, the ones that were signed over the abomination, they were marked and preserved, that you and I are called to be, just like Jeremiah, the voice of the Lord. You know, we're not anything special, neither was Jeremiah. We're not, I don't go around, I, not once have I said America is going to be judged. Here's what I can tell you. 
If I look in Scripture, no nation has ever done the same things we're doing and not escape judgment. That is a fact. And if, if our leaders don't say, I prayed and fasted and this was what the Lord asked me to do, we've got a problem. If they say, here's what we did. We met at a huge, uh, we met at a huge conference table and we put our collective heads together and here's what we came up with. That won't work, will it? That's what, the 20, that's what the 25 elders were doing. They would sit at the conference table, everyone get together, what do you say, what do you say? The two ringleaders say, no, no, this is the route we're going to go. Tell the people this, and everybody went with it. And the Lord is telling us, who are you willingly going to follow? You know, if you follow the Lord, here's the great thing. Not only will He give you wise counsel, but the Spirit will lift you up. Amen? The Spirit will lift you up spiritually, wisdom-wise, and you have the protection of the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time again in your word. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to reveal far beyond whatever uh, I have uh, expressed tonight, Lord, because uh, you know so much more about this text than I could ever hope to convey. But Lord, I pray that we would see that the things that you've written, they stand the test of time. Whether it's America now or the British Empire before us or nations uh, long before us, the Roman Empire. Lord, no matter what time in history, these things that were written as warnings to Jerusalem are still warnings to us today. And Lord, I pray that they would cause us to hasten your return by wisely, Lord, praying and interceding on behalf of our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers. Lord, as you give us opportunity, inviting them to come and taste and see that the Lord is good, that, Lord, you are generous, gracious, and compassionate, full of mercy. Lord, I pray that as we leave here, uh, Lord, you'll just continue to uh, use us as lights and witnesses everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if the kids didn't...